Welcome back to another episode of the Afros and Ives podcast. I am your host, Tiffany Rozier, and in this episode, I am speaking with the founders of Black Food Folks, Director of Culinary Community Initiatives for James Beard, Colleen Vincent, and Brooklyn-based photographer specializing in food, drink, and events, Clay Williams. Black Food Folks is a fellowship and gathering of Black professionals working in the food and drink community to support each other and help each of us succeed. We talk about the need for our own spaces, the importance of telling our food stories, and what Black food and drink looks like in the future. Thank you for listening in. And remember, Afros and Knives is a listener-supported program, and so we would like to thank all of our patrons and and sponsors for their generosity and partnership. I'm Colleen Vincent. Um, I work for the James Beard Foundation, and I'm the co-founder of Black Food Folks. Um, I've been in the food industry uh, on and off for a long period of time and never really on purpose. Um, But I have worked for the James Beard Foundation for the past almost 14 years. Um, My current title is Director of Culinary Community Initiatives, and what that means is um, I show up in the places that the foundation hasn't necessarily um, shown up in before um, and, you know, offer to listen and um, provide any solutions or assistance that we can. And uh, in the past like year or so, I've been to um, the Food Sovereignty Summit, um, Federation of Southern Cooperatives annual meeting. Fresh Fest, um, uh, Bugs, uh, Resistance Served. So a lot of places where, um, you know, the fountain of new, uh, a lot of things that the foundation has never really attended or participated in for one reason or another. Um, so my focus has always been um, first from an internal compass uh, being the, being the um, champion for people of color in diverse communities um, at the foundation and kind of doing my own side projects. Um, and then, you know, it got became more formal in recent years. And um, Clay and I have known, that's where we know each other from is the foundation. Clay is a photographer, as you well know, and uh, the foundation has a photography um hires photographers for our many, many events. So that's how Clay and I met. Um, And so it's been quite some time. And uh, we started talking about all the people we were talking to. Um, And it turns out all the people we were talking to were having the same issues, uh, which Clay will speak to, um, because he articulates that a lot better than I do. Um, But needless to say, because of us coming together and wanting to address the challenges that people of color face in this industry, kind of in a head-on community-based way, Clay said, let's get everybody in a room. I said, I have a space. And Black Food Folks was born um, last year, February 2019. Yeah, this week makes makes a full year since um, our first meetup. Wow, that's incredible. Yep. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, we had our first meetup. We had over a hundred people um, coming to a place in uh, Flatbush, 
they're trying to call it Prospect Lover's Garden now, but it's Flatbush. What? Um, what is that? No. Okay. okay. Flatbush. I mean, that, <laughs> I grew up here. It's Flatbush. Um, and it was very much like a, a family reunion. It was festive. It was emotional. Um, it was very joyful. Um, and, you know, we captured this energy and we've been going ever since. Um, so we kind of, you know, a lot of it is learning by doing. A lot of it is seat of the pants. But one of the um, aspects that I'm most proud of is our Instagram. So, you you know, it's a really it's really awesome when your co-founder is a professional photographer because he can. Capture, yeah, he can not, not only capture, um, you know, the right moments and compositions, but also like he can capture the beauty that is like black people in food and beverage you know in all aspects of food and beverage um so our instagram is really really beautiful um everybody is lit properly uh <laughs> you see all our glorious uh skin tones um and you know it's a celebration quite frankly of what we've done um of what we're doing and what we can do i love it i love it and for you clay um, so I'm Clay Williams. I am a photographer focusing on food and drink. Um, let's see. I started covering, I started writing and photographing food and events uh, in um, here in Brooklyn in something like 2007. Uh, and I've been doing it more or less full time since 2011. So um, a little while now. Um, I have been on the food beat. I started on the food beat by covering street food and, uh, you know, little openings of restaurants and that sort of thing um, back in, you know, the, the late aughts, early teens and, um, um, and over that, since then, I've sort of, you know, I've gotten to know a lot of people in the industry. I've gotten to connect with folks like Colleen, um, like our friend Nicole Taylor, uh, executive editor, executive food editor at Thrillist, um, a lot of different, uh, chefs working in the industry. Um, and like Colleen said, uh, over time we would, um, you know, we'd end up in conversations. We'd, we'd meet up for coffee. We'd talk during like a break at a shoot. Um, uh, I'd stop in at their restaurants or bars um, and, and we'd, we'd have a drink. Um, and, you know, I, and this is not just black folks. I've, I've you know, I've, I've connected with a lot of folks in the industry, but, um, but there was a common thread when talking to black folks who were connected to food and drink. Um, and, and that was that there was always some sort of resistance to our voices, um, to the stories you wanted to tell. Um, there was always some sort of dilution or, or, um, just barriers um, put up um, to letting us express ourselves, um, and and that's those are that's from the point of view of writers. That's from the point of view of chefs. Um, 
you know, we were always, we've, we've been told for so long that our stories are, are a niche, right? That it's, uh, it does not meet the mass market. It's not, um, it's not something our readers will understand and that you need to, uh, you need to start the story from the beginning or, if you are a chef focusing on, you know, your historic food, you know, well, that's, you know, you're, you're, you're talking about your historic Southern food and it's like, Oh, well, you got to throw in some barbecue or make sure you've got some of this or that or whatever. Right, right. You've got to cover everything. Right. Um, and, and we weren't able to tell, you know, you can tell stories about, you know, of the the cuisine of a particular province or village in Italy, um, you know, and and it's understood that this does not represent all Italian food, right? Um, you can talk about, um, you can, you don't have to if it, with the you know talking about Italy, you don't have to explain the entire context of the of the whole country. Right. Um, in order to, in order to say why you know Sicilians eat these things and you know um, folks in Piedmont eat, uh, eat these things and, and folks in Rome eat that, those things, right? Um, right. You know, you can really, you can hone in. You can tell your story, right, or the right. story of a of a place uh, or a culture, um, and that's not something that. Um, um, that a lot of us have had the opportunity to do. Um, you know, I talked to um, our friend, Corsia Wilson, and she would tell stories about, you know, if she wants to write about um, some portion of black culture and cuisine, um, first thing is that it would get pushed to February because that's when our story, that's the only time our story right. would be able to be told. Uh, um, yeah. And then, and then, um, you know, well, you, our audience might be unfamiliar with this. So you have, uh, you know, you should spend some more time giving background and mm-hmm. that takes up half of the story. And then, right. you know, you only have, the rest of this, uh, of the minimal space to actually go into the topic you're, um, you know, she was trying to talk about right. the first place. to talk about. Um, yeah. Right. And so, and so anyway, that's, that's a bit of a long winded uh, way of explaining <laughs> it. But. No, that's fine. That's fine. Um, to your point about, an odd about audience just to kind of step away from like the gate the current gatekeepers of a lot of um the the challenges that are happening within like food media around like african stories and african-american stories um is it you know for the, for them it's easy to fall back on the, the the whole audience scenario like oh the audience won't or the audience cannot or the audience you know and in some of my most current experiences i've I've seen that in action where they're, you know, they're not really looking at any like data they've collected. They're not really analyzing like what's going on with their audience. So my question is, do you guys think that at this point, like you've been at this a year and you've been engaged with a number of different people? And of course, and like Colleen, with your with your years at um, James Beard, do you think that 
people are underestimating their audience or completely disregarding their audience in an effort to kind of keep the gate closed at this point or to only or keep it to a trickle. Um, I don't know. I mean, it's a large, you know, almost 400 million people in this country. And I can't imagine that they've got their finger on the pulse for every single person. And based on where like food publications have gone and uh, food television has gone, it feels like they're a bit tone deaf in general about their audience. So like, what's your, you know, what, what's your, I guess your hypothesis about why the gatekeepers are so okay. resistant? I agree with what I'm, okay. You want to okay. go first? Well, let me just clarify just briefly is that when I, I'm using the, I'm using the example, I was using the example of writing um, and media, but uh, if we, when we talk to chefs, it's the same thing. They're investors, they're reviewers, they're whomever um, have the same argument. And investors right. say, oh, well, we need to uh, appeal to a wider audience to get, you know, who are going to come into this restaurant. Right. Um, our, our diners need to, you know understand quote, exactly quote, right? exactly um a, a reviewer will you know not necessarily get what this is because all of the reviewers are coming from a particular perspective and thus don't even try to um do the research necessary um to to know where the chef is coming from or why things are the way they are. Gotcha. Um, but, but I'll let Colleen, sorry, Colleen, you go ahead with the uh, um, answer. So I, 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 for the most part, I will say, I don't necessarily think that the gatekeeper gatekeeping is in, intentional by specific motives, but certainly by design. Um, you know, the people who make up uh, the, controlling systems of our industry do not look like any of these chefs, um, do not look like any of these writers, do not look like any of the people that we're dealing with. You know, um, black people are very much overrepresented in the um, lowest rungs of the food industry in all aspects and, and very much underrepresented in those kinds of um, spotlight um, positions and it has to do with capital. It has to do with traditional systems of economics here in the United States. It has a, to do with who you know who can afford to be a writer, um, mm -hmm. and, and it has a lot to do with um, you know the investors look like the publisher, right? So, right. You no, know, and right. then when the publisher is looking for diversity, he's hiring a woman that looks like him. Mm. Um, and so, you know, the food and the food industry is really interesting in that that all the people, most of the people that like speak on it are women. That's true. That's They're true. women. It's women. Um, however, um, you know, until um, very recently, the ones that were put forth as, you know, the, the cool kids or the influencers and what have you don't look like our community. Meanwhile, we've had these women toiling our in our community for a really long time, who we all respect, who are iconic, and they're just getting their real shine in the past like couple of years. Mm. Um, and part of that is, um, and I'll be very blunt about this, I think a lot of it has to do with like um, the 2016 election. Mm. Everything, oh, oh. everything that has happened since then. 
Um, it's like people woke up and realized like, oh, no, we don't all have the same experiences. I, I would say liberal people have woke yeah. up and said, no, we don't have all the same experiences. And they were walking around with this like, you know, I don't want to say pink cloud or pink hat. Um, and, you know, just thinking like everybody is the same and everybody has the same experiences. And it, it, and it, it kind of like the best way I can put it is kind of like forced a spotlight that forced people to have empathy and understanding mm. that not all of us have the same experiences. And yes, black people do work twice as hard for less. Um, and that we have always been here and have always been talented. Um, so even when we get the first whatever and the first whatever, there's a long line of people who deserved to be that person. Exactly. Their shine. So there's that part um, and kind of a rediscovering of um, America's culinary history. And of course, you know, the desire to be on trend and cool um, have kind of led to all these people like, quote unquote, rediscovering um, <laughs> the contributions of the diaspora, um, the myriad of contributions to the diaspora. Of course, they're still asking people to tell those stories from the very beginning. Um, and I think where, you know, black food folks comes in is that these people know that when they come into the room with us, we already know, like we know um, what they're facing, the dismissal, um, the tokenization, um, the underestimation and, and like, was that a word? I hope so. Um, <laughs> Go with it. It's fine. Yes. Uh, you know, the, we know. So when they get into a room, when we all get into a room together, first of all, people can let their hair down and their shoulders down. And we don't have to do the like the double speak and the and the, you know, we don't have to like play the like the game. Right. Um, you know, we can be our real authentic selves. And I think when people feel supported, I'll say this, you know, for me personally, when people feel supported and feel like they're part of something greater than themselves, um, it inspires them. It motivates them. Um, it allows them to keep going and it allows them the space to like be even more creative, you know, because they that energy, that kind of energy is stolen when you are the only one in certain spaces. It's stolen, it's exhausting. Absolutely, it is. It's exhausting, um, it's frustrating, it's passive aggressive, like it really is. And people may not mean to, but that is that is the culture. Yeah. Um, and it steals like your joy and it steals your energy and it steals your creativity. Um, and I'm hoping that what we do helps people like gain some measure back. Um, because what is, you know, black people don't get to be autonomous. No. It's true. It's you know, true. like we're walking around and it's like, you're black people. What do you think about black people doing this? And it's just like, well, I'm, you know, I am like from Grenada and, you know, David Thomas is from Virginia and like, you know, Joy Chevalier is from Texas. Like we all have different black experiences. Right. You know, right. and it's like we're, we're human beings and right. there is nuance there. Like you would never. It, it's amazing to me that people still kind of clump the other together. together right? um, like, people of color. I'm like, what, what, what is that? OK, what does yeah. that mean? What does that even mean? Um, I think it's an easy it makes things digestible for them. And again, I, I, I guess the mystery to me has always been what is so hard about it that you are pushed to make that choice. Like, why is it so hard to view 
black people as people. What was the, where was the, you know what I mean? Like there, there was definitely a break in, you know, like colonization is probably the larger conversation around like dehumanization, but specifically now in 2020 and you're, you see, I mean, there's stories, our stories are literally everywhere um, in all levels of media. uh, And it's, to this point where you go, okay, so why is why do you still find it challenging? Or is it that you don't find it challenging, but it's more lucrative? Where, you know, you know, revenue is the thing that makes your choices now and not necessarily um, any type of interpersonal issue. Because for me, it, to clump a group of people together, even a family of people together, like if you walk into a family reunion, everyone's so different. Like we all might share like a common last name, a common ancestor, but you are not like, like our family would show up to family reunions and we were so vastly different than the other families we were around, even though we were related. And so you just, it creates this kind of just flat note about people that makes it very easy to just kind of utilize the, utilize the talent as you need to, and then leave the story behind. Um, Exactly. And it's been like a conversation I've had in the last few weeks um, working in the environment that I've been working in and realizing how um, how the stories behind a lot of recipes get separated from the culture that they're born in. And it makes it easy to kind of whitewash and disseminate these recipes out to people and then looking and again, that disconnection with the audience and the reader and the listener and the diner. Like, I think there, what's, what I'm seeing now is that there is this huge separation of what people believe these people want and what people actually want. Um, Cause if I invite, you know, a group of my friends to my home and serve them a meal that like comes from my culture and what, um, what I grew up eating, there's never this, challenge to understand the story they're just kind of like curious and interested and everything tastes delicious and nothing's too spicy and nothing's too strange and like i just for me i'm wondering at what point do we when can we take advantage of that 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 disconnect i think that a lot of like i said a lot of the gatekeepers aren't even understanding their own audiences right now and what they actually want and what they actually can understand they just grossly underestimate them and you know and it shows up in all types of places like, you know, the taco truck should only cost me a dollar for a taco and I should only have to pay a couple of bucks for some Chinese food and stuff like that. And then you have the actual diner going to places going, what's the most authentic thing you can give me? How can I eat as close to the original recipe as possible? So I'm like wondering, when did this disconnect happen? Like why separate? Because it's not helping you gain any revenues. If anything, it's creating this increasing frustration that you don't listen to your audience, you're not hearing us. You're not, there's just this kind of, you're in it for the money, which is reflective of the political environment we're in right now, Um, for sure. Like, you know, those who are in leadership, those who are in positions of power, aren't listening to those who just don't have any. So that's where I'm, that's my curiosity always comes back to that, is where, where are we underestimating the people who are really consuming all of, you know, what we serve and what we, and what we say um, set outside of the people who are kind of controlling how that information gets to them. Um, like as you're over your years in both of your fields, like, you know, in the spaces you've been in, have you noticed that there has been like a change in the attitudes of just the audience itself of the people who are of, of the consumer of the diner? Have you noticed their attitudes changing, but the gatekeepers are kind of remaining the same? 
Um, I think that. Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead, Clay. It's fine. I mean, I think that the thing when you talk about the question of of the gatekeepers and why it's this way, I mean, the issue is the issue is that um, it's a the food industry is still is a relatively small community, and and there's a an echo chamber effect. I mean, I mean, this is this shouldn't surprise anyone when you you look at you know the way that food trends happen, you know uh, whether it's uh, Negronis or avocado toast or or whatever it is, everyone's talking to the same people. They're all having the same conversations, and so there's a, a, a this this feeling that like everything that is out there is available through my circle of friends, right? Or my circle, my, the community that I know is so cosmopolitan that it already knows all of these things. And so I just need to reach the people who, uh, who I find in, in this room and that room usually, uh, you know, I, I, um, I, I photograph events and, you know, I, I cover a lot of food events and most of the time when, you know, I'm there, I can count on one hand, you know, out of a group of 100 or 200 people, um, you know, the number of, of, of black people there. The people of color there are maybe, maybe a dozen, um, you know, and, and it's one of those things where that's the image, that's the impression of the, um, of the food community from, from most of these people. And so they think that that's all there is. They mm. think that, they think that, okay, well, this is the representation of what's here. And part of the reason we wanted to uh, get folks together um, is to show us that, no, no, there's not, it's not just you know, those five black folks, right? <laughs> right there right. are a lot of us. I mean, whenever we would have these conversations, I would have conversations with people, uh, you know, uh, um, you know, we have a friend, Nicole Taylor, um, who is, is the great connector. She, she, um, she's always looking out for everybody. And she, um, you know, she does this thing where I was, you know, you're talking to her about the thing you're working on or, you know, a challenge you're having. And she would, she will put you in touch with somebody. She's like, Oh, you should know this person. Mm. You should know, that person, that person is doing something similar or this person's doing something is looking for somebody who's doing what you're doing. And, and so there was always that sort of need to connect and, um, the idea of, well, we're going to connect these folks. Why don't we all just put them in a room together? And I'll be honest. I mean, this stuff gets very internalized. I mean, you know, we both know a bunch of people, but, when we first started talking about this, I was thinking it would be a group of like 20 to 30 people mm. in the back of a bar somewhere. And it grew and grew because everybody we knew knew somebody else who knew somebody else. And right. they all wanted to be on board. So um, it went from being 20 to 30 people in the back of some bar somewhere to being 100 people uh, plus, um, you know, at at, um, at the venue. Um last year and then again um again this uh this year when we we had another gathering in january and so the thing that um the thing that's sort of jarring about it is that you start to 
internalize this idea that like, oh, well, there aren't a lot of black folks in this industry, right? And it turns out that there really is. They really there, are. There right? really are, there, yeah. There, there are a ton of us. Um, you know, we are uh, very close to having 10,000 followers on, on Instagram. Um, we have a mailing list um, uh, of about 500 uh, active food professionals. Um, you know, we're here. Um, but when, when we, we don't see each other, or when we're not seen, it's easier to say that, oh, well, you know, oh yeah, I know one person who does wine, uh, one black person who does wine, right? Mm. But like, no, they're like, <laughs> I can name half a dozen people off the top of my head. <laughs> like, um, we are, we in, are out here in Brooklyn. Guy. Exactly. Right. right. Um, and so, and so, you know, that was part of the point of all this was to to change that narrative of there's not very many people for for us as much as for anybody else. And once we start putting it out there, once we start putting it on on Instagram, you know, um, we were inspired. Uh, the Instagram was inspired uh, a bit by uh, Equity at the Table and their, mm. um, you know, their format of of literally just showing you, yeah, there are people who aren't white dudes who are who are experts in these fields, right? Right. Um, you know, so similarly, we put in, you know, profiles. I mean, they're, you know, not extensive, but we put in these photos um, of black folks in food that you should follow, see what they're doing, see what they're about. Um, and so that, that, that was, that's the contribution I think we do to the conversation is by saying like, no, there's, it's not, you can't say that there aren't any black folks in food because here are, you know, here are a hundred people that we posted over the last year. Exactly. There's, um, ev there's evidence to the contrary. Exactly. Uh, you just have to go look. It's literally exactly. just scroll over. It's there. You have no excuses. Yeah. Um, right. Colleen, Colleen, I wanted to go back to your point about, you had mentioned, um, people who the, this idea of not being able to afford to write, and um, that I, I think it's a really great point to illuminate about not just um, being invited into the space, but the cost of being in that space. Like, you know, not very many people are economically in a position to like just freelance right. <laughs> for magazines and newspapers, um, especially, you know, in this particular economy within the, the systems that we have to live in. Um, what does that look like going forward because you know up until this point you know with with most people outside of the black community they're just now getting caught up like most most of them are you know they've got 150 years of history uh to catch up on and we're already like we've lived it we've done it and we you know black people have that have the have this wonderful space to live in where we're helping other people catch up with our history and us trying to forge a future 
simultaneously. And I know, and for me, that is always like doubly exhausting. Cause like, while I don't mind talking to you about, you know, the food of my ancestors and the people who came before me, because that's important. I'm also trying to move the food forward as well. <laughs> like, where do we go from here? How do we create, you know, new food stories? So, you know, for as far as like a, around those issues of like writing and being becoming part of like the the group of the storytellers in the world, what does that look like for, you know, for black folks going forward? Like, how do we do we you know, do we just create our own spaces? Do we infiltrate the ones that are there? I think it's going to be more and more um, entrepreneurship and independent um, independent um, media um, where, you know, the internet and social media are a great thing for black people because when, you know, we grew up watching TV, we didn't see a whole bunch of people that look like us, right? Um, so now we can directly reach out to one another because mm-hmm. of this wonderful thing we have called the internet. Another aspect of this wonderful thing that we have called the internet is um, crowdfunding. And what a lot of, what I think what a lot of gatekeepers actually miss in always trying to focus on, you know, this audience or whatever, usually boomers, um, what a lot of gatekeepers miss about black people is that we appreciate so much one another, each other's talents, like seeing each other's faces. We will watch Tyler Perry movies on freaking, you know, Netflix. It's yes. terrible. Bad wins it all. Bad no, I won't. <laughs> The point is, I know that, but I'm saying we will, you know, there's, there's a reason, there's a reason why things that are focused on us do well. First of all, um, because, because our images are so controlled by others and have been for so long, we appreciate images where, you know, we're in the forefront or in charge or what have you, like, we're, you know, and, and black women are mo- among the most brand loyal people. Let's put it that way. Oh, you know, if they know, if we know that a black woman's on a show, we're going to watch it um, because we're just rooting for her. And if we, if she's the star, we're all going to watch it, you know? So I think what's happening now is that um, people are recognizing how to harness that power is to just do it ourselves. I think there's going to be more and more of that. I think more and more people realize that um, the American dream, for lack of a better um, sentence, is kind of a lie. Uh, mm. You work hard for a company, like you'll make a lot of money and be able to have a family and support them. And you just have to let somebody else tell you what to do 40 hours or plus a week of your life. Mm. Um, And I think more than anyone, black people really realize this and recognize this. And we have an entrepreneurial spirit, you know, all across the diaspora. We we are known for making something out of nothing. Um, And like as, as more and more people have the courage to step out on whatever faith they have. I think a lot, you know, a lot of us will be there to support. I can't tell you how people talk to me on the side. I don't know, I don't know if they're happening to you right. telling me like sure. when you if you guys like want to start raising money for black food folks, like just let me know and I will like people will support. Um and yeah, and it will also I think will also in it's a learning process for all of us together. But what's important is that people in this particular space of culinary are very professional 
in their aspirations um, mm-hmm. and certainly how they want things to look not necessarily how they go about things but you know they're very professional and if we can kind of like help each other like guide the process you know we don't need right. the gatekeepers the gatekeepers will come to us because like everything else you know black culture is something that people want to ha- have a piece of you know and and i frankly think maybe we should do more gatekeeping but that's another story um but you know that's something that people think people come to us for what is like interesting and dynamic and colorful and like um like we don't have to explain ourselves to people anymore we can just do our own thing and and trust that we can find the support in our own communities absolutely um and to your point about doing our own thing you know, between the two of you and like the, the last year and engaging with so many people, what does, you know, what does our own thing look like in your opinion? What is what is starting to develop and grow and like, you know, separate, you know, outside of, you know, the, the challenges and the, the roadblocks? Like what is um, the, what do you think the future of black food is starting I to look that, like? How is it starting uh, to shape I hope up? That, um, I'll let Clay start that one. We are uh, at a point where we are sorry um i i hope whether it's because of us or just because of this moment that we're at a um we're at a point where people are um are feeling like they can express themselves more feeling that um there's an audience for them um feeling that there are enough examples of people who have been doing things that they want to do um, that they can also get into it. They can also try something. They don't have to do the uh, what was historically considered the safe thing. Um, and so going forward, I think that there will be more people doing telling their story in their own ways, not necessarily trying to fit into the, um, you know, the, the, the traditional sort of styles, but figuring out ways to, to not just be, Hey, this is all soul food, but be like, this is, this is my stuff from where this is my, my, this is what I grew up with. Right. Um, this is where my people are from or, or, or even, this isn't even my thing, but this is the thing that I love and I want to invest my time and effort into. Right. I, I, like, I feel like we don't, I feel like, uh, you know, the, the, the idea should be, should be that we're not, Mm, we're empowered to tell our stories, but we can also tell other stories. Um, right. Whatever that is. And if that's, you know, if that's, Chow McCoy out there, you know, wine, um, or, you know, um, or Omar, uh, Tate telling, you know, the, the stories of his ancestry, um, both from the, the Philly stoop to, you know, um, um, his ancestors down South, um, you know, those are all, that's, that's them. Right. And it can be, it can be either. It can be both. I don't know. Does that answer the question? I'm not, I'm not really sure. 
Yeah. And I, <laughs> no, it does. It's just, it's funny because when, you know, we don't get at, at this point, it's been hard to get space to kind of think about even the future at this point. Like, I don't know how many, like, what, how many folks working in food and in beverage who are, who are black are able to even like go, okay, can I even tell stories of countries I've been to that I absolutely love without like losing something or without people disregarding it because I am black. And it's like, well, you should tell your story and that's it. And even in that space, you should tell your story this way. So that, like you said, there hasn't been a lot of opportunity for us to just tell our stories as individuals and like put something on the plate that kind of just expresses who we are and where we right. came from. I mean, I grew up right. outside of Philadelphia. I'm, I, you know, I'm used to not using cheese whiz on my, my cheese sticks. And so like, even that conversation alone um, can get contentious, but, but it's just like, but that's how I grew up. That's where I'm from. Exactly. And, you know, I had one grandmother who, you know, she cooked probably six or seven things really, really well. And because she was so busy all the time, but most of her roots were pretty Southern. And so a lot of that found, found its way into the food where my other grandmother, she cooked all the time. And it's, it's, it was never a central part of any particular family gathering. Um, it was kind of that, yeah, she cooked and you could take it or leave it. And she never really kind of celebrated any particular roots coming from any particular place. And so I have both of those narratives that really inform a lot of my food choices at this point. Um, so I just, I guess my question was like being in that room with, with you know, a, all, all these Black folks working in food right now, what is the talk of the future? I mean, we, you know, to have some space where we can talk about like um, molecular gastronomy and who's doing really interesting things with, um, with different types of like chemicals and, and, and different new styles of plating, because I feel like it's a conversation that gets to ha to be had by our counterparts. Mm -hmm. People talk to them about the innovations of their food. They talk about what the future of their food looks like. And it's just not a conversation I get to hear. Um, very many black people have a conversation around is like, what's the innovation of our food and, you know, how are we creating new food ways and new food stories um, for, for ourselves, just with, within our community. So, you know, when I go into a restaurant that's helmed by uh, a black chef that's owned by a black restaurateur, what can I expect? Like, where is the, where is this feud? Where is the, Where are these stories going? Um, I, I would next say, five years? I would say expect the unexpected. See what's happening. There's a couple of things happening. Um, people are rediscovering, you know, parts of their heritage. Um, people are um, rediscovering um, writers, authors, chefs that came before. And people um, have, but so many people have been trained. They, they did the, like, went through the kitchen, the European, like, style, French style brigade, all of that. They've done all those things. And there's been this narrative that, like, that is the innovation when right, somebody right. like Johnny Rhodes, who's actually doing things with food, like preserving food, the way our ancestors were did like in ways that were pretty innovative for a time when there was like no refrigeration. Um, and they didn't have as much access to as many ingredients as we do now. So there's that. Um, and then you have people who um, are free right. to like, be right. artists and i think that's the what what we're looking for is a point where you don't know what to expect from a black chef like you just mm. don't know you know i mean you know jason howard like his food it looks like paintings 
you know um Gregory Bourdais he cooks like the most amazing pan-Asian food although he's been cooking more and more Haitian food from his heritage so I think expect the unexpected Greg Collier he's he's like you know I just want to cook food that people like and it tastes good you know yeah and it's good enough for him to be a semi-finalist so I think the 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 thing that I think where we're trying to get to as a community is that we get to be what we want to be. We get to mm. be the artists. We get to be the storytellers. We get right. to be the nourisher. You, you know, um, and nurturers. you can like, do. It. We get to be all of those things yeah. instead of like trying to fit into a box. You know, that's it. That's the point. Right? You can do an Asian food and Haitian food. You can do, you know, ahead, Southern food and Italian food. Right. I mean, no one tells, you know, Danny Meyer to stay in his lane. Right. Um, you know, you can you can do different types of food. You can, um, you know, you and you can do it well. Exactly. Um, you know, put in your, your, you know, you put in your work, you put in your research, you, you, you hone it to the top of your game and like, you can do a lot of different things. Um, and I, part of the point, just to loop back to, you know, what we're doing, part of the point of black food folks is to, to at least help build infrastructure so that people can, can see what's possible um you know they can see the the greatness that people are doing right now as well as see the folks who were you know working their way up i mean it's about creating that conversation because you know it's always great when you know the times or food and wine or whoever highlights us but you know with due respect to those publications you know and the the work they've done which i appreciate you know all of those amount to trend pieces you know we've seen that happen with other cuisines and other cultures and you know because in their infrastructure the people who are making those decisions aren't us there, the aesthetic is just what people are interested in at the moment and that will move on right you're not gonna you're not gonna mm-hmm. <laughs> every issue right you know uh, say i don't know uh, you look at like any any food magazine and you know is there an issue in a year that goes by when there isn't a pasta dish right i mean there's some pasta dish summer winter whatever right like almost if not every month like you're gonna get at least half those issues right (laughs) but how many of those issues are gonna have something about nigerian food right about jamaican food about right you know a gullah food right i mean right it's just one of those things Yeah. Right. These cuisines, these cuisines just, it's, it's funny right. to me because it's, it's indicative of a lot of other things as well, where it's just like, you're still just not part of the general 
narrative. You still are kind of, you're still kind of pushed into the corner as an other. And we can pull you out when it's trendy or when people are like curious all of a sudden about something and to become, to be a part of the fabric of an entire nation and yet your culture is always kind of sequestered off into the corner until it's lucratively um, to their advantage to, to write about you or feature you has always been just like, it's frustrating and it's exhausting and, and you just kind of go, okay, so I am, that, we, and, we're, and I mean, we're literally everywhere like in all the, parts of your history. Um, and yet you know, those we're, you know, we're still talking about as if we're an other. Right. I mean, so, yeah. Yolanda's piece in the New York Times about like, you know, the this this whole the whole package of Nigerian cuisine about Nigerian of Nigerian recipes, I should say. Um, you know, that's a that's a start, right? I mean, you start the conversation. I mean, these aren't where we are right now is that we're all still telling our personal stories because we don't know all the other ones, right? And the more we share, the more of these articles that happen, the more we collaborate and we meet each other um, and we see each other, the more we can connect, you know, the, um, the food that we grew up with, with this other food, with that other food, with the roots of where those things came from. And then we can build you know, whatever comes next. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And considering like those stories, especially around like even specifically around like Nigerian food, Nigerian cooking, and then considering the current political climate around, you know, travel bans and things of that nature for, you know, I find like those I feel like those stories have even greater significance. Like, okay, so how has, you know, Nigerian culture influenced overall American culture and then African-American like how how, where their hands are again in everything. And so like how how where's the influence coming from? What what influences can we see and which ones are kind of in the background that we haven't even noticed yet? So it's, you know, I, I think we, making sure that our stories are just a part of the overall American story helps strengthen, you know, our history overall. But again, that's a, that's a soapbox that would take three hours to stand on. Um, so I, I usually ask two questions at the end of an interview. One is for a young person who is looking at Black food folks and like, you know, gleaning inspiration from the, the people featured on the Instagram and who, you know, want to get themselves kind of integrated or connected. Um, you know, what do you say to like that ne- those, this next generation of young people who are coming up in all as- aspects and platforms um, and spaces of of food and beverage don't be afraid to reach out to the people you admire you know um unlike a lot of other other industries like people are really accessible in this industry you know not not most of us don't have assistance or you know um somebody running interference so if you like if you dm us or email one of us like somebody a person is on the other end of it. Uh, you know, I sometimes I have things to say about that level of accessibility, but we are here. People always want to help. And I think, you know, and, and to speak broadly about black people, I think I can say this with 
the utmost confidence that we are not only a communal people, um, but also one that's pro that 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 has a long history of of informal mentoring. Um, so you know, people. I mean, most people, most of us, I think, would be happy to help somebody out and else out in any way we can. Mm. So feel free to reach out to us, um, to any of the people you see on our feed who are linked. I'm pretty sure that they will respond. Like, I'm really, really sure that they will respond. And if they don't, if you reach out to Clay and myself, we can connect you and um, we'll help you respond, help them help you get that response. Awesome. And uh, Clay, for someone who wants to get into like food photography, food styling, um, food media, like or shooting for food media, um, you know, they've just, you know, they're 10th grade, picked up a camera. They're trying to figure out like how to tell their story um, and, and through a camera lens. Like what's your, what's, what's, a, what's something you could give them that they can start working on right now? Uh, but it's, it's totally true is to keep shooting. Um, and not just take a million of the same picture, but like, you know, keep trying new things. Um, keep photographing something different and it helps you both get better, um, at that specific type of thing, but also it, it makes you understand understand what you're looking for, what you're trying to do. And that's, I mean, photography is, you know, it, there's so many different ways to do it. Um, so, you know, you can, you want to find your voice and I, you know, I'm still out there, you know, figuring out what my, you know, what my voice is, right. I'm doing it every day. And so the more you do it, the more, find the things that you're interested in, find the ways to do it better. Um, so, I mean, I think that that's, that's certainly uh, the first thing. And the second is just, you know, both follow other photographers to see what they're doing and how their work is. But also if, if you're talking about food, you know, follow the people that you want to, um, you want to work with. Um, my, you know, uh, um, the vast majority of the people I follow on Instagram are either photographers mm. or chefs. Um, and those are the communities that I, you know, I want to both be a part of, but also I want to, um, I want to know what they're working on. I want to see what they're doing. Um, you know, if I'm traveling somewhere or if I'm, um, you know, if I'm looking to do a certain type of work or work with a certain, you know, with, with chefs doing a certain sort of thing, I will definitely go and like, look at, you know, look for people who are based there or who are doing that work and I'll see who they follow and who they're, who they're con uh, connecting with. And I will, you know, see what things that they're inspired by. Um, because it gives me a better feeling mm. of, of that community and of that level of work. Okay. 
Awesome. Awesome. And so for this year, uh, in year two, what is, um, what's going on with Black food folks? How can people like participate, get involved? Of course, following the Instagram is a big part of that. Um, is there, I mean, you don't have to spill all the tea, but is there anything people should be looking forward to this year that did not happen last year? So, um, you know, if you guys want to speak on what's ha- how the organization's growing this year. So this year, our focus is on professional development um, and continuing, of course, the community build. Um, so we just had a, a panel this week, as a matter of fact, all about pop-ups, where we explored both the um, both the chef side as well as the um, producer side of pop-ups um, and, and certainly the like business and wine pairings and, and things of that nature. So the, we had that um, and soon we'll be having another another meetup and gathering. We'll be doing a couple of previews um, and uh, you know, we got something really exciting planned for the website, um, which it's, it's, we just have a page that's coming soon. So it's in the works, um, but you know, there's a lot. Um, yeah, there's a lot going on. <laughs> <laughs> I know website website building is always the one thing people are like, it's coming, it's coming. I promise it's coming. It's a lot. Yeah. Um, and uh, last question would be, if you if you had an opportunity to create your your ideal dinner, and for me, I'm not I'm rarely focused on who's coming. I want to know what's being served. Um, four or five courses. What needs to be on the menu? Um, for me, it's got to be some kind of a, this is going to sound kind of basic, but I really like curry, um, shrimp and curry goat, curry, anything, um, and, uh, certainly crab back if I have time to eat that. Um, and, um, you know, some like our version of stewed greens is Kalaloo. Um, so Mm -hmm. that, yeah, that has to be there because that's some of the best oh, wow, kind really? of cooking that my mom does. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay. Any dessert? Uh, flourless chocolate cake. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Nice. Now, I did have someone answer specifically how they wanted it served. So they were like, serve it all at one time and not in courses. Would you, are you pro courses or are you for everything comes out at the table at one shot? I'm pro courses. Reason okay. because I eat really fast and I don't know what that means, but I I eat kind of fast. So courses allow me to kind of enjoy the people around me um, and have a little, um, you know, conversation and and uh, and, um, you know, kind of just enjoy hmm. the evening as, as opposed to like, hard for me. what's um, next, what's next, what's next, you know, so. Right. I think all right, Clay. Yeah, I, you know, I, I, I like I'm a, uh, I'm an omnivore, so I like a little of everything. Um, I like to have some representation from from all over the world, right? I I, I like courses and um and I think the idea of having just a, an extensive uh, around the world um, dinner would be amazing. Um, you know, with, you know, French to Korean to, we've been talking about Nigerian food, so now I want some jollof. Um, um, you know, I, I, I'm, 
I eat a lot of really good food in this job, and I, I have to say that I'm 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 less uh, picky. I just want it. I want it to be good, and I want it to be surrounded by some great people, and uh, I wanted to at least start with champagne. <laughs> It's all good. Someone else said, you yeah. know what? There has to be champagne. Yeah. I'm like, I'm all yeah. about that. Um, I want to say it was, I think it was Corsha. She was like, yeah. She's like, yeah, we need champagne. She's like, whatever yeah. it is, there has to be champagne. So yeah. But yeah. Well, thank you guys so much for some, for taking some time this morning with me. I appreciate it. You so much. Where are you um, Absolutely. Um, I'm excited to, to keep hopefully get to an event this oh, okay, year. Cool. I mean, I'm on the side of I'm on the proper coast at this point. Okay. So we'll I will pop up. Uh, I am currently in Boston on my way to Philly. So, yes, yeah, so I will make sure I um, get myself to an event this year. So but I appreciate you guys. I appreciate your work and your voice. Um, and for anyone who is new and has not heard of Black Food Folks, I don't know how, but, you know, in case <laughs> um, exists, uh, what's yep. the, uh, the socials, the, um, the, way, the best um, way to get connected uh, and follow Twitter, the work? Uh, we are also uh, at on Black Food. Um, that's our, uh, our Instagram is our day to day. I am, neither of us spends a lot of time on Facebook, meaning that like we don't post very much there, but it's, it is there. Um, and then uh, we have a private mailing list uh, where we send a, a monthly newsletter. Uh, if you are a professional in the food and drink industry, whether that's a writer or a chef or bartender or whatever, um, send us your uh, your full name, your email address, and what you do, and we will uh, add you to the list. All right, perfect. Well, thank, thank you, you very guys much. again, and I will uh, you let you get on with the rest of your day, and uh, we will um, we'll connect soon. Okay, thank you. So All right. Absolutely. Sure, you guys have a good day. Thank you for listening to this week's interview. We hope you enjoyed it. With the thousands of podcasts out there, we are honored that you've chosen to listen to ours. Be sure to catch up on all of season one, then come back every week for new episodes. Visit the Afros and Knives website to get connected to our social media, to buy merch, and to become a patron of the show. Afros and Knives is a listener-supported podcast, and funding is provided by our Patreon members. Be sure to download and subscribe to the show, and we'll talk to you next week.